Annyeong SAO, welcome to Afternoon of Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unease. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hi there. Okay. So what I would like to begin today's episode talking about is Amy, though. I want to talk about Amy's house of horror and death. For real. So Amy's been regaling us for some time, if you've been listening to the pod, with stories of all sorts of wildlife that lives in her home, which is quite funny given that Amy is not exactly the outdoor type. I am not at all the outdoor (laughs) type. I'm very much the indoor type. And so, you know, you'll find her talking about the stink bugs coming out of her fireplace. True. Very true. Yes. The squirrels living in her attic. Mm -hmm, There's that. And then the creeping smell of death (laughs) that was her home in the last 24 hours. Please come visit everybody. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and the funny thing is, I like a clean house. And I vacuum my house weekly and I and I don't deep clean all the time because like I'm you know I, I'm a mom and I don't have time to do that and but like I like to live in a clean place and so when something doesn't smell right I notice it right away and I know if it's my kids because I know what sweaty teenagers smell like and it wasn't sweaty teenagers and you know what rotting flesh smells like I do now yeah <laughs> so this is just two nights ago like I'm downstairs making lunches it's bedtime my kids are upstairs brushing their teeth and they're getting ready for bed they've showered so everybody's nice and clean and I finished making lunches I put them in the fridge and I come upstairs and I'm like why does it smell like somebody died out in the hallway here and both of them are like it's not my room it's not my room because like I would not put it past one of their stinky rooms to like seep out into the hallway And, you know, I have cats, too. So I'm like, did a cat do something terrible up here? But, like, I can find nothing. And my nose leads me to the vent on the wall that goes down to the furnace. And I'm like, oh, something is dead in here. And so I have the HVAC people come out today. I took the day off of work. I'm sorry. I just imagine Amy just, like, walking. I just imagine you walking down your hallway with, like, your nose in the air. (laughs) And, like, the cartoons, like, green. It's 100% what I did. I was picturing her crawling on the floor like a basket. No, because this, this vent is on the wall, so it's up high. Oh, okay, yeah, See, it's I, up high. I had you with your face the like cartoon green, the- like scent trail, and she's like following it with her nose in the air. Okay, go ahead. It just made me laugh. Pretty much exactly. Yeah. Were, were you wiggling your booty as you went? Wiggling the booty. So. <laughs> I took the day off of work today. I was out of personal day, so I took a sick day, and I consider it a sick day because this affects my health. <laughs> So HVAC people come out. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to get all the ducts clean because I don't know where this is coming from. It's all connected. And so I get my air ducts cleaned, which truthfully needed to be done anyway. And lo and behold, when the technician is down on his knees looking in the air return vent in my living room, he takes a picture and he's like, oh, come look at this. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And there it is. There is a dead mouse. He removes the mouse. I'm so grateful. I'm texting my friends. I'm like, this guy was awesome that he removed the mouse. That wasn't part of the job. Should I tip him? Do you tip like air duct cleaners? Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Time out. It wasn't part of his job to remove the mouse? I He just cleans the ducts. I don't know if he removes like carrion. Like, is that part of the job description? I don't know. If you're... 
if you're cleaning and you come across carrion, you don't just step over it. I honestly don't know. I don't know. I've never had this happen before. Okay. Well, anyway, the fact that he did it made me very happy. Anyway, so he removes the mouse. He cleans my vents. He's down in the basement cleaning up. What I did not know when he got there today is that he was going to have to bring his big like vent hose thing in through my basement window well. sexy. Yeah. Big hose. His big hose. He had to bring it in through my basement window well. Those of you who don't have basements, there are windows that go down from ground level and they're really shitty windows. And so this window already had like a little crack in it. I didn't, it's probably been sealed in there and painted over for like 40 years, like as old as this house is. And he had to pop it out and he popped it out without you know, ruining the crack at all. And I put duct tape over the crack so that the window would look awesome afterwards. And when he went to go put the window back later, I was upstairs working on my script for tonight. And all of a sudden I hear, oh, fuck. (laughs) And then a bunch of crashing. Yeah. Oh, And the window shattered. Not the spot that I had taped. He broke the other side. So I needed a new window anyway. And now this company has to pay for it. So right now, if anybody wants to, if if you are going back in time and listening to this on Star Wars Day, if you want to bust into my house, all you got to do is hop down into the window well and kick out the plywood. And there you go. That's my story. Yay, adulting. I don't really want to come to your house because you have dead animals. (laughs) I have dead animals and live animals. Mackin's like, do you live like right by a forest or something? I'm like, yes, I do. Like, I literally can see the forest from my backyard. Deer walk through my backyard, like daily. Well, let's hope you don't find one of them in your vents. (laughs) If a deer gets in my vents, (laughs) we have a lot lot more things to worry about. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, Amy, what are we doing today? Well, today, it's been a while. Today, we are bringing you an SOS episode. But you will notice that I did not say a second male lead SOS because we are going a little bit rogue today and we are doing just a second lead SOS. It could be an SML or it could be an SFL. We've got a few different things going on today and I'm excited for everybody to hear what we've written. But what we do, in case you've never listened to an SOS episode, is we take, we've done it before with second male leads and second male leads who don't get a happily ever after in their drama. And we, because we are the romance writers that we are, we write them their happily ever after that they deserve. And so we've done that twice so far, and we're doing another one today. And we've got some original things that we've written for you, given some happy endings to people who did not get their HEAs in the dramas where we fell in love with them. Thank you, Amy. You're very welcome. Amy, why don't you go first? You have a pretty important one. I do. I feel like I do. So I went way, way back to the beginning here. The first K-drama I ever watched was also the first K-drama to break my heart with the second leads. I'm looking at you, crash landing on you. If you have not watched Chloe, for the love of Soju, please pause this podcast and hunker down for a good 24 to 30 hours and binge one of our favorite K-dramas because I'm going to spoil the hell out of it momentarily. I'll give you a minute to contemplate. But for real, you want to leave the surprises in this drama like intact. You don't want to watch this knowing anything because the best way to watch it is to just not know what the hell's going to happen and then be so delighted, but also have your heart ripped out. So there you go. It's the best way to watch. All right. Did I give you enough time? Because we're going to dive right in. Here we go. Crash Landing on You gives us a sort of happily ever after for our Riri, our leads. I'm talking Ri Jong-hyuk, our North Korean hero, and Yoon Suri, our South Korean heroine. They get to spend two glorious weeks together a year in Switzerland, which is maybe not the full happily ever after we were hoping for, but they're married in real life, so I call that a win. 
But our second leads, Sedan and Gusung Jun, got to, for a short time, like a really short time, experience unconditional true love until Sung Jun tragically dies, saving Sedan from the goons who were after him. Cue me sobbing for characters I didn't even realize I'd fallen for over the course of the drama. And sure, Sedan is cool as fuck when she tells her mom that being single is on trend as she stalks off with her cello. (laughs) (laughs) But I want more for Sedan than to just be trendy. I want her to find love again. So here we go. And mind you, this is just the start of the possibility of her love story because I got carried away and it got long. And so we're just doing the beginning. So Sedan obtains a 90-day visa to play a series of concerts in Switzerland, starting in Sigrisville, the place where Zhang Hyuk and Siri unknowingly first found one another. On the flight from China to Europe, because I googled how to get from North Korea... (laughs) to Switzerland, and a common way to do it is to train to China and then fly to Switzerland. She's seated next to a tall, dark-haired man with a neatly trimmed beard. He's dressed in a very well-tailored charcoal gray suit with a black turtleneck because, yes, K-dramas have shown me that a man in a turtleneck in a suit is my sexuality, and apparently it is for Sedan, too. She has a quick flash of deja vu, even though she's sure she's never seen this man before, and chalks it up to the fact that while she's perfectly content being single, she does still have a pulse and therefore notices an attractive man. He also has a shred of black fabric pinned to his lapel, a sign Sedan once learned to illustrate one is mourning in the Jewish culture. His knee accidentally bumps hers as he sits down and he apologizes in English with a British accent. Part of her wants to tell him that she knows mourning all too well as she lost someone she loved only a year ago, but another part of her is relieved that she won't have to make small talk with a stranger because, let's face it, Sedan does not do small talk. She does, however, do sleep, as long as she has a doctor-prescribed aid, because not only has she mourned for the past year, but she hasn't slept on her own either. So she swallows a pill and drifts off into oblivion. She wakes on the plane's descent into Zurich, only to find her head resting on the stranger's shoulder, the fabric of his suit damp with a spot of drool. She apologizes, embarrassed. She's never slept that soundly before, even on medication, except for one time, many years ago, when she dozed off on a bench outside a cozy Swiss cafe, lamenting the fact that her fiancé showed little interest in her at all. The man simply smiles at her and soon they disembark and go their separate ways, until Dan throws open the door to a taxi to head to her hotel and finds it's already occupied by Mr. Tall, Dark, and Morning. Again, she apologizes, which makes twice in one day for her, which is twice more than she's apologized to anyone in quite some time. She hoists her cello back onto her shoulder and pivots to leave when the man inside asks her to wait. He asks where she's going, that maybe they can share a cab. She explains that she's going to Sigrisville, which is nearly a two-hour ride and that she'll just catch the next cab. But he claims he's going there as well to visit someone special and insists they ride together. He even gets out and helps carefully load her suitcase and instrument. She still tries to protest, but once the stranger closes the trunk, her refusal seems futile, so she climbs inside the cab. For a while, they ride in silence, for which she's grateful, but eventually he asks her how long she's been playing the cello, to which she coolly responds, all my life. Another stretch of silence until he asks if she's played in Switzerland before. Again, her response is short. Yes, many years ago. When he asks if she has any questions for him, she quickly responds no, which surprisingly makes him laugh, which even more surprisingly makes the corner of her mouth turn up. It's the first time in a long time someone has made her smile, and for a second she feels a pang of guilt for letting it happen. She finally asks him a question. Why do you mourn? He surprises her again with a laugh, and he explains that he wasn't expecting such a direct and to-the-point question. She shrugs. So he tells her. He was on a business trip in China when he received news that his father had passed away. There was no funeral as his father didn't want one, but he's headed home now to settle his affairs. Despite growing up in the same home, he didn't know his father well because, like him now, his father was always away on business. 
He missed all my rugby matches. He missed when I graduated university. He missed my own mother, his wife's funeral. I guess that makes me an orphan now, one who is following all too well in his father's footsteps. She apologizes for his loss, and he explains that he lost his father long before he passed away. She has the urge to tell him that she lost someone she only knew for a short time, but in that short time learned to care for him very much, but what would be the point? Despite what people said, she doesn't believe that misery loves company, yet she can't help think how she doesn't feel so miserable at the moment. They fall silent, and soon, despite her norm of never falling asleep on her own, the vibration of the vehicle lulls her into an unexpected slumber. Again, she wakes just as they are reaching their destination, again on the stranger's shoulder, once more having slept so heavily that she drooled. The stranger finally makes note of it, laughing at his ability to bore her straight to sleep. (laughs) He tries to pay for the cab fare, but she intervenes and insists they split it, so they do. He helps her unload her suitcase and cello, which is when she notices, what she didn't notice before at the airport, her luggage is the only luggage in the trunk. When she asks where his is, he tells her there was a mix-up at the airport and that his luggage is arriving after him. They enter the hotel and separate to check in. He's still at the counter when she gets her room card, and she's not sure what she's supposed to do. Say goodbye, wait for him, but why? She has only a couple of hours to rest before she has to take the stage at the concert hall. Jet lag be damned. Also, sidebar, I am not trying to figure out time zone stuff here along with a 12-hour flight and two-hour car ride, so for the sake of fiction, she flies from China to Switzerland and gets there in the afternoon, okay? (laughs) Anywho, the stranger must notice her staring because he glances up in her direction. He shrugs as if they're having trouble with his reservation, so she waves, shrugs back, and heads to her room, all the while feeling like she's missing something. He's just a handsome stranger you sat next to for more than half a day. That's it, she tells herself. You are single and trendy and already found the one love you'll ever have, so move along and play your music. And that's what she does, because after that, she does not see the handsome stranger again. Her concert goes well. If there's one place where Sedan is free from all that weighs on her, it's when she's with her instrument. But afterwards, she's drained. She should go back to the hotel, but she finds herself heading toward the cafe she visited all those years ago. It's 10 p.m. when she gets there, and it's closed, of course. That doesn't stop her from heading down the hill to take a seat on the park bench outside the cafe that looks upon the Toon River. But when she makes her way to the bench, it isn't empty. A man in a gray suit sits there with two to-go cups sitting next to him and a Kit Kat. Sedan is dizzy, and it feels like she's just traveled back in time, or like the final piece of a puzzle has just clicked into place. It's you, she says to the stranger. Her stranger. I wasn't sure if you'd come, he replies. The tea is probably cold, but the chocolate is immune to waiting. Almost a decade ago, when she'd met up with Ri Jong Hyuk in this very same town, she'd known then and there that he didn't love her. But their families had arranged their marriage, and she was determined to make love happen, even where it didn't exist. One night, after indulging her woes with a bit of cherry brandy, she wanders to this same bench to lament her love life, angrily eat a Kit Kat, and listen to the lapping waves of the river. There had been a young man on the same bench, tall, handsome, and now that she thinks of it, wearing a turtleneck and a torn piece of black cloth pinned to it. You were mourning then, too, she says. Your mother. He nods. She's from this town. It's where she's buried. And you were very angry at your chocolate. He holds up the Kit Kat. I hope you'll go a bit easier on this one. She takes the offer chocolate and sits down beside him. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) She takes the offer chocolate and sits down beside him. I fell asleep in your arms, she says, incredulous. I felt safe, less sad and angry. You drooled on my arm. Not that I minded, he reminds her. And I felt less sad and angry, too. She tentatively touches his beard and tells him she didn't recognize him by how he looked, but she somehow felt the memory of him, but just couldn't explain it. 
He says that he knew it was her the second she fell asleep on his shoulder on the plane. When she asks him how long he's in town, he tells her that he already missed his connecting flight in Zurich. He only came to Sigrisville today because on the off chance that she wanted to know, he wanted to finally tell her his name. Seeing her again makes him realize that he doesn't want to end up like his father, married to his work above all else. And even though she doesn't believe in falling in love twice, she's always up for a challenge if someone wants to prove her wrong. She tells him that she's grieving too, and that whatever this is, she needs to go slow. She also lays it out how futile it might be to get to know a woman who cannot leave her country permanently, only for short periods of time. Each year can be somewhere different depending on who wants her to play and if she can get a visa. He reminds her that he's an orphan with no ties to anyone or any place, that he'll go where he needs to be if she needs him to be there. He asks her, does she want to know his name? She nods. I'm Alex, he tells her. She tears open her Kit Kat and gently breaks a piece off, handing it to him. It's nice to meet you, Alex. And despite her jet lag, that evening, she does not fall asleep. The end of the beginning. I love that, Amy. You did such a good job. You know, I think you really stayed true to Sedan's character. That's what I was trying. And that's why I was like, there's not going to be any kissing or anything in this yet, because I can't write the whole story. Like, I wanted to try and write like a quick, you know, blurb of a story. And I just like started writing it. So I tried to throw in as many like, you know, little tropes as I could, you know, a, a nod back to Switzerland and to her angry eating of the Kit Kat. You know, I was telling Leah and Megan before when I was writing this, I'm like, I feel like I keep putting dead parents in my SOSs, but I'm like, it's a trope. It's a K-drama trope. Somebody's parent dies. So that's in there. And like the having met before, you know, just like Suri and Jung Hyuk did. So I wanted to do that sort of parallel. But yeah, so that's my start for her. Oh, I loved it. I think you did a great job. Thank you. Too. And I like uh, being single, being trendy. <laughs> that's her like line to her mom. Yeah. Like when her mom's like, we got to marry you off. She's like, don't you know, being single is the trend right now. And I love that like that was her response. And I love that she I do love like the end of Chloe when she sort of, you know, stalks off smiling, you know, going to cello practice. But I also think that she deserves more than like, five minutes of like love, you know, mm-hmm. agreed. Like that's not enough to last her a lifetime. She's too young for that. Agreed. And what was the name of it again? The name of what? Oh, I, I didn't name it. Should I name it? I didn't even have a title for it. Are we making titles? I didn't even do a title. I'm so creatively drained, you guys, after writing uh, almost half of a book last weekend. Um, I'm just going to call it Angry Kit Kat. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Well, for being creatively drained, my gosh, I loved it. You did dialogue and everything. That's one thing I did did not do. I wrote mine kind of like a synopsis, but I loved it. I loved it so much. I I thought you did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, I felt like you stayed true to her character. Like I could see her in all of those scenes. You know what I mean? Thanks. Okay, so I will go next, if that's okay. Sure. Okay, I am going to be doing NJ, who is the second female lead from Our Beloved Son. Yes! Yay! I know. So let me say, like, I really loved NJ. She was played by the actress Ro Jung-wi. And I really loved her character. I thought they gave her depth. And she wasn't kind of this one dimensional, you know, nasty second female lead. I thought she was really great. And they did justice to her character to a degree. I felt like give the girl like some love or some compassion. You know what I mean? I just felt like she was so alone in so many of those scenes other than like her driver or her manager. And I just wanted her to like have like a friend or whatever. So okay, so I'm gonna get started. This is a little long. I got a little carried away. NJ is an idol at the peak of her career and under a lot of scrutiny. Her one outlet is purchasing buildings that catch her eye and can be a source of income when her idol career fades. She has been growing tired of the constant grind and wishes to do something that makes her feel useful. She's been getting some bad 
bad press lately, too. Anonymous sources claiming she's been nasty to the staff and skipping schedules, none of which is true. When the apartment building where she lives suffers a fire, she temporarily moves into an apartment building she recently purchased. It's not great. The elevator doesn't work, the front door sticks, and there's a mysterious smell in the staircase. So there aren't many tenants in the building. And while she hopes to renovate and raise rent, she promises the old tenants that their rate will remain the same. Many aren't happy about change, but as long as they won't have to pay out more rent, they are content to let her do what she wants to do. But there's one tenant in 131B who she finds particularly peculiar, a man who only speaks to her through a crack in the door and receives all his food and household supplies via delivery. He cares little for her fame and uses few words when spoken to. She finds as she's renovating the building, that many of the renovations she orders have been sabotaged. Tools go missing, workers walk off the job and complain the building is haunted, and the smell of the staircase will not go away. Frustrated, she decides to stay up all night and do her own investigative work to figure out what is happening to the construction of the building. Because if there's an idol who's plucky, it's NJ. So she's on the roof, nearly falling asleep, when footsteps attract her attention. With her flashlight, she illuminates a familiar form, attempting to dismantle scaffolding. Even with the mask covering his face, she knows who it is. Ji Hyung Po, otherwise known as Po, a disgraced former idol who disappeared from the public eye over five years ago. He was outed as a thief who stole money from his agency, the same agency she's signed to. He must have served his prison sentence and been released recently. He was made a lesson to all of the idols, and while NJ had never met him, being associated with him would be career-ending for her. She shouts to him, but he takes off running down the smelly staircase. She chases him, but loses him. So the next day, she searches the good old CCTV outside the building, but she finds he never left, which means he's still inside the building. Is he a tenant? But before NJ can do some digging, she learns there is evidence of bed bugs in the apartment building, and so the building has to be fumigated. All tenants must leave for a certain amount of hours. She is able to get everyone out of their homes, except the tenant in 131B. He refuses to leave. Her bodyguards push their way in and drag him out. He's wearing a mask, glasses, and a hat, but his shoes, they are familiar. The guy on the rooftop, and she recognizes him right away as Poe, the saboteur in the flesh. She wants to call him out publicly, but he has fear in his eyes of being recognized, so she decides not to let on that she knows who he is, at least not yet. Once the fumigation is finished, NJ sneaks into his apartment before he returns. She has the master key, after all, as the building owner. She isn't sure what to expect in his apartment, but it's nearly bare. Lots of ramen containers in the trash can, along with soju and beer bottles. He's not doing well, and when he comes home and finds her there, he's understandably shocked. Poe was known for his looks, and that's one thing that hasn't changed. His face is hairless because of laser hair removal, and his hair has been buzzed short in a style that suits him. He was still the most stupidly attractive idol she's ever seen, and five years her senior. Struck by his appearance, she fumbles over her words, but confronts him about what he's been doing to the building. When he tries to kick her out, she threatens to leak to the press where he is. So he sinks down onto his old couch, defeated, and tells her he's worried about the apartment building attracting more tenants, ones who will recognize him. He's already moved so many times. His last resort is to go abroad. She crosses her arms and tells him that he should have made better life choices, but he laughs bitterly and says that the only thing he did wrong was to naively trust people he shouldn't have. She asks what he means, and he shakes his head. He tells her he'll stop sabotaging her renovations if she promises to let him remain private. He said he's sorry and that he acted irrationally and out of fear. They shake on a truce and she leaves, but his words bother her. What did he mean that his only mistake was trusting people he shouldn't have? She does some digging around her agency, casually asking around about Poe, and she begins to sense that something is fishy about the circumstances of his crime. 
Feeling bad for Poe, she begins visiting him often, showing up at his house with ingredients to cook in his kitchen. She cleans his apartment and finds a box under his bed full of memorabilia of his idle life. One time when she comes inside, she hears him singing from the bathroom. She creeps closer and realizes too late that the shower is turned off. Poe emerges in a towel and they scream and they see each other. Poe might be a hermit, but he's still been taking care of that idle-worthy body. She stammers that she has food for him and they eat in awkward silence until she brings up that she thinks there's more to his story than the public thinks. He tells her to drop it, that it's in the past and he no longer wants revenge or justice. He just wants to be left alone. The press defeated him once and he won't fight them again. She stays and they watch a movie together. When she leaves, he confesses that spending time with her has been the best thing to happen to him, even better than his idle days. That's all he wants from her is her time. He doesn't want her to risk anything for him. They share a kiss and startled, Poe slams the door in her face. The next day, NJ gets hurt at dance practice and hits her head. Groggy, she is taken to her apartment in order to rest. She wakes up after a while to see Poe fussing around her apartment, fixing her blankets and making her ramen. He even wipes on her face and ties her hair back. He apologizes for reacting weird after the kiss and she smiles at him and tells him that he's making up for it. They bond over idle life and she talks about her dreams for the future. He admits he's been stuck, but her dreams have inspired him. And maybe he'll finally take the plunge and begin writing a music again. They might have a little bit more kissy time on the couch. So once NJ recovers, she refuses to give up her investigation. She gets her bodyguard on the case to help her. And after much investigation, learns that Poe is in fact not guilty of his crimes. It was his managers who have since left the agency and seemingly vanished. Poe was set up to take the fall. She leaks the story to the press, triumphant to clear Poe's name, but it backfires. Reporters find out where he is and camp outside his apartment. She sneaks him out of his apartment through a back construction pathway and tells him that he can stay with her. She apologizes for what she did, but she only wanted to help him. He's frustrated with her, but also terrified, clearly triggered by what happened before and how he was hounded by the press. So NJ puts herself on the line. She does interviews and presses law enforcement to investigate properly. She explains that Poe continues to live as the kind idol he was known to be and took care of her when she was injured. Press swings Poe's way. And while he still refuses to do any interviews, he's shocked that someone stuck up for him. But he finally emerges to greet the press as NJ is being interviewed. He gives all the credit to her. Her reputation soars in the aftermath, as does Poe's. They record a duet together and the song reaches the top of the charts. They move in together in NJ's new, fully renovated apartments and get engaged. Yay! That was awesome. I kind of want to meet Poe. Like, I'm like, who yeah. should I cast as Poe, you know? I like it. Kind of into the sad former idol. And I don't know. That I was like really that fun lot. to write. I was really into it. And I loved NJ. And I just feel like she's so, like, feisty and confident. And I can just see her kind of just, like, going to bat for someone that she cares about. That was fun. I like that a lot. Thank you. I loved her. I'm surprised that there's not more idol dramas, right? There's really not a lot of idol dramas. I mean, there are some. But... You know, even like I think of like mm-hmm. her private life, like the idol is like, you know, the second lead kind of thing. So yeah, I would like to see like a full on, a full on idol one. I know Imitation had some ATs members in it. It didn't do great in South Korea, but I feel like I read somewhere that it did well in Japan. But those were like idol trainees. Ooh, I would like that too. Yeah, I mean, I heard it was pretty good. The one ATs member was the second male lead. So maybe I should watch it and then do an SOS for him because he did not get the girl. But there were other members. I think SF9 members were in it, if I'm remembering correctly. But anyway, yeah, it was called Imitation. And I still want to see it, but just haven't done that yet. I do want to also throw out there because I forgot to say in my SOS that Sedan is played by Soji High. And I wanted to give her credit because she was awesome in Crash Landing. So great. I loved her. Such a great role. Yes, seriously. (sighs) Really? Like, I'm not kidding that, like, when I cried my eyes out at the end of that drama, I didn't even know that I liked those two people. You know what I mean? Like, it was like they snuck up on you because you're so invested in the main leads. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I love these guys too. My God, I cried so So hard. Hard. 
so hard because they developed his character so well. Like when he talks about how Oli wants his someone uh, to cry for him when he dies. That is such a pivotal moment yes. in his arc. And then the fact that she like sobs over him and he's like kind of smile. I mean, I know. I think that if I watched Crash Landing on You now, having watched many dramas, I would be even more surprised, though, that he died than I was watching it. Because it really is kind of a big move that they killed it him off. It definitely is. You're right, it is. Right, because I feel like they usually just have the character just, like, go away. It just doesn't work out. But the fact that they freaking killed him off in a bloody, brutal way. <laughs> With a shotgun. <laughs> and just to then circle over to our beloved Summer... <sighs> I also still am just never over that Choyu Shook's character was just such a bonehead with NJ. Like, she really was just like a great, open, straightforward, beautiful person. And it was very clear she liked him. Yeah. Like, very, very clear. clear. And he was just such a bozo, even though I love him. Yeah. Like, love him. I almost feel like that made it worse. Like, I would have just wanted him to let her down gently. Instead, he was just, like, oblivious about it, which just seemed, like, disrespectful. I just felt bad. I thought NJ <laughs> yeah. was so sweet, and she did nice things for him. Like, she was... Such nice things. I mean, she made his career. Yeah, she, yeah you're right. She... I mean, she was just lovely, and... I I loved how honest she was about, I mean, she wasn't like, oh, I'm a poor little idol. She wasn't like that. I think she felt grateful for what she had and what she did. But I also think she was realistic about what that career also did to her life in a negative way. Yeah, I thought she was fantastic. And I'm glad that you gave her what yeah. she was. Who would owed. I cast as Poe? I need to think about that. My vote would be Roon, oh. who uh, I'm going to be talking oh. about. And he is an idol. So. God. Yeah. And he's beautiful. I can't handle my love for him right now. I can't. Like, tomorrow, yeah. Why is this drama, like, <laughs> making me lower the floor? All right. Well, speaking of low floors, I'm going to pivot then to my SOS, which I am calling The King's Bargain. And it's going to feature Lee Hyun, who is a hunk of spunk <laughs> in The King's Affection, which is a gender-bending historical K-drama based on the manhwa Yonmo, written by Lee So Young. So Lee Hyun is a character played to perfection by Nam Yoon Su, who is not only like a damn good actor and can be seen in dramas like Extracurricular and Beyond Evil, he is also born in 1997, <laughs> which makes him very, very eligible to be my after school special <laughs> baby and does not make my age floor of 28. Therefore, I am only speaking about him from the point of view of appreciation and not creepy Ajumo lust, at least not much. So neither of you have watched The King's Affection because <clears throat> historical haters. But, you know, there is a whole podcast I did about it with Sarah from K-Drama This. And spoiler, I quite liked The King's Affection. And I'm just going to give a quickie recap from Asian Wiki just to kind of anchor it for both of you and anyone else who is listening at home. So the crowd prince's wife gave birth to twins. But during the Joseon period, twins were often considered an ominous sign. The twin daughter was supposed to be killed, but her mother begged to save her life. Secretly, the twin daughter is sent out of the palace. Then, a few years later, the twin son, Lee Hui, is killed. So, the crown prince's wife hides her twin son's death and brings back her twin daughter, who, I don't know, just go with it, looks just like the dead son, <laughs> back to the palace and raises her as Prince Lee Hui. So, Li Hui eventually becomes the crown prince, but lives in constant fear that her real identity will be revealed. 
And because of the secret, Li Hui is unable to have anyone close to her. And she hides her emotions from others and makes biting remarks and is just generally a cold person. So she ends up having this teacher played by Roon, who we were just speaking about, who is Zheng Ji-un. And Zheng Ji-un comes from a noble family and has befriended her a long time ago as a young woman. Because, of course, what were they? Each other's first love before she was brought in to be the prince. Ji-un is handsome, he's smart, he's an optimist who enjoys life, and he finds himself falling head over heels for the king, who is not a he, but a she. Because yes, we get all of that, I don't care if you are an alien, coffee prince, love the person, not the gender, good, good, that I'm just a total mess about. So happy, happy, yay for the lead couple. But hold up, because this is a second male lead SOS. So who's the second male lead? It's Li Hyun. Li Hyun is the crown prince's noble cousin and the only person besides her two servants who knows that Li Hui is actually a girl. And he like is in love with her. And what has he done with this knowledge that he has sat on about her real gender identity for years? Literally nothing. He doesn't even tell her he knows because he knows how hard she has at trying to keep her identity a secret in this court full of intrigue and vipers who would destroy her the second they learn the truth. So he sees her enduring and decides he's never going to ask a damn thing of her. He's just going to love and endure that love on her behalf. So she never has to feel burdened by his feelings. So there's this one episode where he's holding an umbrella over her in the rain and she's just like sobbing and he's just like shoving down this desire to embrace her, which you can see like his whole body like wants to just reach out. And instead he calmly comforts her with like nice words. And when he learns that Jiwoon loves her, he advises the guy to follow in his footsteps and just endure the love too. Except for Jiwoon is actually like, L-O-L-Z-Z-Z, I'm shooting my <laughs> shot, which he does. And he gets the girl. But of course, Lee Hyun is also buds with Jiwoon, so he doesn't let his heart get in the way of rooting for him. So in the end, what does our second male lead, Lee Hyun, get? Does he get a girl? Nope. The pure-hearted beta love bunny gets the short end of the romance stick. However, it's not all doom and gloom, because when the real truth about Li Hui's gender comes out, she abdicates and is very happy to get the F out of the palace and live her HEA. But someone has to be king. And who is it? You guessed it, Li Hyun. So can we give this king an HEA? I'm going to do my best. Okay, you just sold me on this drama, so like... <laughs> good, because it's good. All you, all you really had to say is Maroon, and I was in. <laughs> I mean, he is... So good. I mean, look, I love the second male lead in this, Lee Hyun, so much. But really, Rowoon, <laughs> like you still do. Like, I mean, this is why the, he deserves his SOS. But Rowoon really did deserve the love here, even with a faded mate, which is never my favorite. Okay, so here is what we know from historicals. Palaces are full of intrigue. So why should it be any different for Lee Hyun? He just survived a whole bunch of power struggles that rivaled Game of Thrones, with even his brother and grandfather committing dastardly murders and deeds trying to get the throne. So Lee Hyun has the power, but he knows it comes with a price. And he doesn't forget that innocent blood was shed in its pursuit, including the murder of two young princes who weren't even close to being men. So one thing in King's Affection are two young children at two different points in the drama are fairly brutally murdered. 
So while he's determined to be a good king, Lee Hyun's a reluctant ruler, and he's vowed he will never raise a child in the palace. He won't have an heir, and he'll never love another woman. He's just going to focus on his duty to Joseon. Of course, the court isn't really interested in a bachelor king. The monarchy must endure. So those ministers with the hats, the beards, and the robes, they're going to start playing matchmaker. And soon it's a parade of eligible ladies disturbing the king at all hours of the day. But he's less enticed, he's more annoyed. The women all seem to be into it, but he knows they're not really there for him. They're there for the power and the wealth that he represents. All except for one. Kim Young-suk is a noblewoman from a minor genteel family who's been brought in for this marriage mark. But she's not sugar, she's spice. In fact, she's half wild animal, and she doesn't want to wear makeup and simper over hairpins. She wants to practice archery and ride bareback through the woods. The other aspiring brides mock Young Suk, and Lee Hyun, who is generally charitable and kind, just isn't sure what to make of her. One night, she's sneaking out to go hunting when she encounters a would-be assassin looking to bring down the king. She doesn't realize that Lee Hyun is well aware he's being stalked and is pretending to be ignorant to draw the would-be assailant into a confined location where he can subdue him and reveal his identity. Instead, Young Suk jumps off a roof using martial arts skills and attacks the assailant who manages to escape. Rather than being thankful, she's annoyed that Lee Hyun is upset. Why would she act like that? He had it handled. She scoffs, saying he would get himself killed and what would be the point when he doesn't even have an heir? Lee Hyun never gets riled up, but something about this woman gets under his skin. And as they argue, neither of them realize that they're backing themselves towards a lotus pond. At the last moment, Young Suk realizes that she's about to fall in the water and pivots, grabbing Lee Hyun for balance. Of course, he falls on her and their lips mash perfectly, right as the palace wakes up to the commotion. Caught in this compromised position, Lee Hyun knows he either has to marry Young Suk or disgrace the young woman forever, leaving her as the object of ridicule. He also isn't quite sure if she trapped his ass on purpose. Except Young Suk is irate. She never wanted to get married, and the idea of being a queen is her worst nightmare. Her entire life cut off inside a palace walls, shoved into uncomfortable gowns, her only value is in having a child. Her own mother died giving birth to her, and her father, who never got over the loss and resented her for being born a girl, had raised her like a son until he died in a hunting accident. Now it's her ambitious uncle who has his eye on raising the family position, who's jockeyed her into this position, putting her in contention to be a bride. Lee Hyun doesn't want to see another woman trapped by the pressures of the crown, but his conscience can't let her ruin her life over this accident, so he proposes a bargain. They'll get married in name only. They will pretend to be deeply in love. After two months, they will fake her death, and she can go overseas to live a life with freedom, and he'll ensure she has enough riches to be compensated. And then he can mourn her loss, refusing to ever remarry. Win-win. And Young Suk agrees to this bargain. The wedding happens quickly, but they make a plan on the wedding night never to consummate the marriage because they have some things in common, like martial arts, being outside and enjoying it, and then being raised as motherless children. And with these common interests, they form this unlikely friendship, especially when it appears that the assassin still lurks in the palace. Then, a few weeks in, one night on a full moon, the king and queen meet as a coincidence in the secret garden in the palace, a retreat they have both sought out looking to spend a peaceful night. Lee Hyun has a stash of makoli there, the fermented rice alcohol, and they start to drink gold bowls of it. They had made a plan, a good plan, to fake their marriage, to not get involved, but there is only one certainty. Love ignores every rule. One thing leads to another. They practice a little martial arts, they get a little close, closer still, and he begins to wonder if this imperfect woman could be perfect for him. And soon we aren't in a fisheye kiss. We are in a full bow chicka bow bow, 
K-drama fade to black. They both wake up the next day with aching heads and surprisingly achy hearts. Neither of them can bring themselves to acknowledge what happened, although they are both affected by the night. And they're shy, and they're uncertain, and all that good emotional logging that is pain bubbling away beneath all their hats and hairpins. But they only have, like, you know, seven or eight weeks left before Young Sook has to fake her death, and they're both going to be free of each other and whatever the strange attraction is between them. However, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, aka when you have unprotected boning in a K-drama, there's going to be a little steamed bun in the (laughs) oven. And suddenly their fake marriage feels a lot more real. The assassin is still on the loose and is now not just targeting him, but pregnant young Sook. And this assassin is one who looks an awful lot like Lee Hyun's supposedly dead older brother, who appears to have survived the earlier purges and is now after the crown he believed was always meant to be his. And Lee Hyun, the kind and lonely king who was determined to endure the burden of the crown alone, has everything to lose from true love to his unborn child. Bum, bum, bum. That was awesome. Yeah, I freaking love that. I would totally watch yeah. that. Oh my god. I'm sitting here like listening. I'm so like, this fun. is not a real K drama? Like, how yeah, is it I'm not? Like enraptured. <laughs> nice. Oh my gosh. So I like that way better than Mr. Queen. <laughs> yeah, anyway. <laughs> I just like the idea of taking the ministers and having them do less ma- intrigue and more matchmaking. I thought that would be fun. Yes. I like it. Yeah. That, because palace intrigue is low, low, low on my priority list for dramas. Yes. But you give me like matchmaking, men in their hats. Yeah. Uh, I'm there. <laughs> and I haven't I done it. really a fake relationship before. So that was No, fun. that was awesome. Yeah. I love it. That was good. I love that. Well, this was fun. It, it was. was fun. And it is, again, so cathartic. Because in my mind, that that's the, their endings. You know what I mean? So, right. Yes. Right. We we know that there's a possibility for them. And that's really all that matters. Because there are some second leads out there who just are given the short end of the stick and do not deserve it. There are some second leads where I don't mind it. But there are many where I'm very upset to see them not get their happily ever after. And we have more on our list. There'll be more of these because we keep track of our second And leads. you can always uh, make recommendations of someone that's burning a hole in your heart and let us know. And Studio Dragon, we are always ready to be booked in busy right yeah seriously and now it's time for our favorite segment it's the k-pop wreck of the week and this week we have leah oh yes we do (laughs) so what is the comeback making earworms all over the world right now it is yes that that with Sai and Min Yoongi, aka Suga, aka my ultimate tiny king, aka my BTS bias. So, Suga and Sai have paired up for, you know, just the most fun, catchy, happy. It's the song that really does signal an If it's not true, I'm just going to pretend it like it is this week that, you know, the pandemic might be over. We kick off with like 2022. Here we go. Maybe things will be slightly less, you know, awful than they've been. And look, it's just it's really fun. The video is well worth watching. It's kind of like Western with a slight nod to Gangnam style. The dancing is idol-tastic. And Suga wears white urban cowboy suit 
a bolo tie animal print and then what i'm only guessing because he's sponsored by like louis vuitton all of bts is i'm assuming that's who's like you know hooking him up with the lapel pins but he's got like a pearl brooch he's got a full like enamel baguette on his brooch <laughs> like it's a lot and oh my god i don't know what it is but his mullet no one should look as good in a mullet as he does and the other thing that makes me really happy is that Shiga is just always like you know he's like Sundara so he is like the definition of cold on the outside sweet marshmallow on the inside when he raps he's got this like little like half snarl tick that he does but you can tell he's having so much fun doing this song with Sai and the thing about Sai that's so great is I feel like a it's fun to have like anyone who I can opa in k-pop because I think he might be like the only person in k-pop I can opa <laughs> but I love that he's smart I love that he's talented I love that he really does nurture younger folk and that he's providing this like good role model I feel like I love his like dad bod vibes he dances like a fucking demon and I'm just a big yeah the whole album is real great i think but you know obviously i'm here for that that it's fantastic i woke up that day listened to it immediately and had a huge smile on my face i watch the video all the time it's sure to make me smile it's like three minutes or whatever of just smiling. it's pure joy like absolute pure joy but when i'm watching it the first time i'm watching it and i'm like okay we're sugar we're sugar we're sugar and then he just like jumps in when he enters uh, it's amazing i, I screamed when he did <laughs> and look he is above my floor just he's 29 30 in korean but i'm going with like you know international age <laughs> he thank god is above my floor and that guy his ass in those white pants is so fine when he raps and does that like you lip know twist, that lip twist it, is it does something to me i can't i, I had to like look away almost, why does it was, his lip curling like i don't know it's great. it's great oh god i get like full body shiver <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I need to put some pearls on so I can clutch them. <laughs> so anyway, that, that by Sai and Min Yoongi, AKA Sugar. If you are like the only person on the planet who has not checked it out, please watch the video. It's going to make you so happy. And if you've watched it a whole bunch of times like us, what's one more? Keep going. Treat yourself. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank. At least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom. Because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoon Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, bop along to our K-pop recs, blow up your skin with K-merch recs, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. Yeah. So what are we watching? So, you know, Leah brought up Rowoon and I have been watching Tomorrow 
which is a new drama that's out where he is, he gets mixed up with some Grim Reapers and tries to save a guy from jumping off a bridge and Inso goes over the bridge with him and sort of kind of dies. <laughs> but he doesn't. He makes a deal with like the Emperor of Heaven that if he works for them for a little while, works for the Grim Reapers, he will only be in a coma for a few months. And if he decides not to, then his fate will be different. And he, of course, decides he wants to because he wants to get out of this coma and go back to his life. But what I will say is the interesting part of it is the Grim Reaper squad that he ends up going with, they are the ones who try to keep people from taking their own lives. So it's very heavily based on suicide, which sounds really super heavy, and it is. But it's also really super funny at times when it's not dealing with, you know, the suicidal elements. It's a really weird mix. And then it's Rowoon, and he is just beyond beautiful as a human. And I'm, I'm letting like his height compensate for the age <laughs> because there's something about that height that just makes he's a man. Like he does not come off as a 25 year old guy. So you like a tall drink of water. Is what I you're do saying. like a tall drink of See, water. See, I like a more compact king. Megan, how about you? Where's your where do you where do your allegiances lie? Yeah, I actually usually always dated smaller guys because I'm small. So I feel like the smaller guys were like, oh, well, like she's our only option. <laughs> so <laughs> but Neil's like 5'11. So I don't I don't know. I like short kings. A I've lot, never though. dated a tall guy like in real life. Like I've never dated somebody that like that's even like close to six feet let alone you know a, like six four or whatever no i love a, i love a short king as well sugar does something to me i got nothing against the short kings you look i, I mean i'm gonna take it all right like i'm not gonna say no yeah. i mean like my floor to my, <laughs> my my floor is uh it's like five foot and you're <laughs> peter no my floor is peter dinklage <laughs> <laughs> who could get absolutely it. Every which way. Even I mean, as oh, Tyrion damn. with the scar. With no nose. Oh, yeah, and the fake blonde hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give it, give it straight up. To like, I don't mm -hmm. know, what, The Rock? <laughs> <laughs> My heart is big, is what I'm There's saying. There's room for people of all sizes, really, is what it's all about. Right. But I tend to like more of like a compact king. Hashtag, I trademark it for tonight. <laughs> compact king. <laughs> okay, well... I am watching Our Blues, which is dripping itself out, and I still can't decide if I think it's happy or sad, but I do like it. And I am picking back up my mister so that we can do yes, the podcast. Yes, me too. It. And I really do love it. I just need to be able to like put some time to it. It's been a real busy couple of weeks. Agree. So, so I am watching 17 but 30. So um, it's a really interesting premise, but basically a girl gets in a bus accident when she's 17 and is in a coma for 13 years and wakes up and she's 30. And a boy thinks he's responsible for her death, of like a, a high school boy. And so this whole time, this whole 13 years, he's kind of lived his life really at a standstill, kind of like at pause. Like this is really has majorly affected him. And I think he doesn't think he should be happy because he helped contribute to the accident or what, what he thinks. But once she wakes up, they kind of come together, but they don't realize who the other one is. So that's kind of interesting only because they're like forming a bond without knowing how their pasts are connected, which I do kind of like that they're giving them a chance to connect that way, if that makes sense. I will say it's a little slow. And not in a bad way. It's just kind of a drama that I'm, I don't feel super compelled to just like 
blah, 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 through all the episodes. You know what I mean? But it's happy. Okay, so Shin Hei Sun is the female lead. She plays the female lead, and she's just so great. I mean, I saw her in Mr. Queen, and she was fantastic. And now she's playing this, like, 17-year-old girl trapped in a 30-year-old woman's body. <laughs> it's just like, you know, anyway, she's fantastic. So, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's just not like a super fast moving drama. And I feel like I'm just starting to get into the angst, but it's also funny. So it's good when there's a good balance of, you know, angst and funny. I I have to say, so I I literally like right before the pod, I just opened up Netflix and turned on my mystery because I I haven't started yet. And I started watching the first episode and it's a very funny opening scene with the ladybug. Mm -hmm. Megan's like, I don't even remember. I don't know. I blocked out the whole drama. I thought it was a very funny opening scene and it just kind (laughs) of set the tone for me. And then I... Oh, when she kills the ladybug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, well, fuck's sake. And then it's just like this... (laughs) I thought it was funny. (laughs) Okay. I thought it was funny, first of all, that like the other women in the office were like, it's a giant bumblebee flying at me. It's trying to attack me. And it's like a tiny little ladybug. And yeah, and then she kills it. And that sets the tone for her character. But does. she's just like squashed. But then I heard, but then Butterboy started talking and I was like, I'm in, I'm in. See, I just remember the opening scene as being like just office st- stuff. And I'm like, why do I care? Because they all work together. They work oh together. I know. I can't wait I to do this podcast with sorry, the Blank Two Story Christmas. What's his name? Lee Sung Kyung. I love that we get to see yeah. him with not eighties hair from Coffee. Oh Prince. my god! Right? He actually has really good hair. Yeah, he has really drama. good hair. And thank God he looks younger. Even though I know this drama is later than Coffee Prince. Right. Like I feel like his eighties hair. Oh, but I mm, I loved his hipster style though in Coffee Prince. And they give him coats because it's cold the entire drama. <laughs> That's what you kept saying, how cold and dark and what it was. I have not picked up on that at all yet. Oh, my God. Okay. Well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have some sort of big <laughs> clash of mi- we'll my mister. I mean, I can't, I can't wait. I know. All right. Well, it was always a pleasure. I wish that I could tune in and watch both your dramas that you wrote tonight. Yeah, I agree. Same to you Oh, guys. my gosh. Seriously, awesome. Leah, like you, If you write historical dramas, I'll watch them. Thank you. Your style of historical is my style of historical. I 100% agree. I would watch historicals if you wrote them, so. (laughs) You're making me blush, y'all. Let's go, Studio Dragon. That's right. All right. Well, have a good night. Okay. Okay. Annyeong! Kamsamnida. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to AfternoonOfDelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, Annyeong!